Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Everything Imaginable. And today, I have a returning guest, my friend Brad Al, also known as Jay Deboard. Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure, Gary. I always love to talk about dreams and related subjects. So um, this will be another interesting uh, podcast. We did one just a couple months ago. Yes, yes. And another thing is this one will actually get to air on KGRA radio. So we'll definitely get a lot more listeners this time. Great. Before Great. Yeah. I was just starting out when I had you on. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I... I, I, it's good to see that you are expanding and your show is catching on. You certainly explore some interesting subjects. Thank you. Yeah, I've been, I've been very lucky. Um, so today we're going to talk about my, one of my favorite topics, and I think it's interesting, is reincarnation. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, reincarnation is one of those things that, I mean, it, it goes way back. I think... You know, as far as the religious, religiously, most people think when they hear reincarnation, they think of like Hinduism or Buddhism and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think a lot of Christian people don't think about it much. However, it is part of also some ancient Jewish traditions, too. And um, ancient Christian Gnostic traditions, except it was edited out of the Bible through over the centuries as things got translated. So, yeah, I didn't it know is. That. Yes, uh, this is something that is taught by Edgar Casey, And, uh, you know, he was one of the uh, first Westerners to bring to the attention of the public that uh, reincarnation does have roots in Western tradition. You would say now that it's in Western mystic Christian tradition, but it used to be mainstream. In fact, there are still a few uh, passages that have been... Um, uh, not edited or translated in a way to uh, obscure their meaning um, that are in still in the Bible, such as when John's or when uh, Jesus says that John the Baptist is the um, he has the spirit of Elijah, and uh, the argument that I have heard against reincarnation from Christians this is what Jesus means by spirit is, is he has the same zeal. But in the original translation of it, it's clear from the Hebrew that he actually means um, that he actually means spirit as in soul. So there's that, and there are some other passages um, in the Bible that point toward a reincarnation as being a reality. And historical records show that it was accepted as reality, except um, when Christianity became the Church of Rome and no longer the Church of Jesus. The, um, the emperors, or I guess they would later be called popes, um, insisted that these things be taken out. Um, and that process continued over the centuries. Uh, King James, as in the King James Bible, was uh, vehemently against the idea of reincarnation. And he made sure that the monks that were translating it um, uh, edited out the parts of the Bible that could be construed as supporting reincarnation. So what was only, the purpose for, for taking out the reincarnation? Is it because they wanted to reinforce the idea of heaven and hell? 
the yes, uh, essentially, it's that if people are realize that they are eternal souls that live over and over again in different bodies, different times, uh, different incarnations, that they uh, will uh, not be as concerned. They, they'll they'll take their they'll view their lives a little differently. Um, it was basically power, um, which is what the uh, organized religions, at least some of them have been about really all along is the uh, power that you have over people. Reincarnation, Gary, reincarnation is liberating. Yeah. When, you know, when you know that you um, incarnate in different forms, different personalities, different bodies, male and female, uh, different races, uh, that you could, according to Edgar Cayce, potentially have thousands of past lives and you are reincarnated thousands of times. It gives you this sense that you are um, you have more freedom to choose who you are even now it makes you uh, look long term in like some of the ways that, that I look at my life now uh, I look at it through the lens of knowing that I have lived before and I will live again it really it makes dogma and authority less important to me I, you know, Christianity, the dogmatic form of it is based on the idea of one life, one death, one judgment, and then heaven or hell for eternity. This very scary thought is what it was the basis of a basis of the church's power for so long. And it still is today in many churches. Uh, if you go into especially like uh, Southern Baptist, I've even heard it in Lutheran churches, where they really still preach the dogma of fire and hell, you know, the, the hell, hellfire and brimstone and eternal damnation and stuff like that. And, you know, to me, this is a serious warping of, um, of Christian scripture. Um, it's a serious warping of understanding of God as an eternal being that loves all of us and gives us the opportunity to have life in a way that um, helps us to evolve as spiritual beings. So yeah, man, um, it's not just a Hindu or a Buddhist thing. I used to think that way. Um, you know, when I first encountered a reincarnation through personal experience, I was very hesitant about accepting it because I grew up in, um, you know, under Christian tradition. And I thought of it as a Buddhist thing. And that if it's a Buddhist thing, then it's automatically suspect. And it turns out that it's, at least I have found, discovered the personal truth of it and that it's not just a Buddhist or a Hindu or even a Christian thing. It's a human thing. Interesting. See, I find reincarnation freeing also because, one, if I make a mistake in this life, it's no big deal. I can just try to fix it in the next one. And also, it makes me less afraid of death. You know, it's like, all right. Yes, it does. You know, I'm going to die, but, you know, there's something after. I'll get to live again in some other body, some other form, some other life, and, and just keep going. Uh, the idea well, it, of being locked away somewhere for eternity after this life seems like a waste of energy almost. Because after yeah, all, sure you energy, you know? <laughs> And, and not very, um, you know, the, the Christian uh, teaching is, is that, that God is all-loving and all-knowing. And yet the same God would put you into situations where you can err 
and that would lead you to eternal damnation of the worst sort of punishment. I mean, it doesn't make sense logically. Either one is true, that God is love, or the other is true, that God condemns uh, uh, people who don't meet the standards to eternal pain and suffering. It, it just doesn't square in my mind. And it has been very liberating for me to remember some of my, I, I, I remember some past lives clearly. It's taken some years to get to this point where I can access those memories. Um, but I remember them clearly and it's been very liberating for me. And it still squares with my understanding of God through a Christian lens and understanding of Jesus as a sort of archetype of of perfection in God's eyes for human beings uh, to, you know, the, basically the, the, a lot of the foundation of what we uh, are taught by Christianity. I can still believe that and know that Christianity or that reincarnation is real. I don't just believe it, Gary. A belief yeah. means that you aren't sure, uh -huh. you know, you either know or you don't know. And this is something that I know. And I think that for anyone listening who's a Christian who is curious about this subject, I suggest that you start where I started, which is with the book by Brian Weiss called Only Love is Real. Brian is a psychiatrist. Um, he is, uh, had patients who came to him who he would uh, put under hypnosis and they would start recounting things from past lives. And at first, he did like any good rational materialist would do. You know, he was trained in Western science, and he thought, well, there must be something else that explains this. Um, it's not what it appears to be. It's not actually memories of past lives. Until he had an experience of one of many, but there was a very powerful experience where he had where two patients were being seen separately by him. They did not know each other. And they were related through their past lives together. And events of their present lives brought them together in a way that sealed, uh, sealed this very special bond between them. And it convinced him that because of this way that things happened seemingly coincidentally, but very serendipitously, that this was something that it had to be real. And so he says, only love is real. That's what he titled his book as. And that's what you end up finding out, that we have these connections with people that we incarnate with in human form over many lifetimes, uh, past, present, and future. We call them soulmates, but mm -hmm. there is a deeper understanding of soulmates than just the romantic sense. These are people who we have these relationships with that go very deep. And that we incarnate together for many reasons. The bottom line really is to promote each other's growth and to support each other. Um, and also to be um, companions and to, to, be, to have something, to have other people with you in this life so that you never feel alone. These people are out there. In fact, everybody out there probably has already met their soulmates, at least some of them. They were probably someone that is a loved one, a parent, a sibling, a best friend. Um, and then there's other types of relationships through soulmates. You, as you dig into this, you find out that we have these um, very deep connections with each other um, that are not coincidental at all. We come into life with a plan 
And other people are part of that plan with us because we want to learn and grow so that our spirits can evolve. And the best training ground for evolving your spirit is life and body. So uh, there's, a v- there's very deep meaning and purpose to our human lives, and it goes into a larger picture of evolving what we are as, a spirit, as spiritual beings. And we do it together. And bonds and, and love, the bonds of love is what connects us all together, but especially bonds us with our soulmates. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, so there's like sort of like a group reincarnation. Um, how about the idea of like a collective soul, like where um, it's not just an individual soul, but like a collective one where um, I forget how, how it was put, but oversold yeah the the and this is how i understand it i recently um edited a book which came out recently it's called the incredible true story of anthony joseph and this was one of my first exposures to in-depth teaching on this it comes uh from the mom of a young man 27 years old he died suddenly in a medical emergency And then his spirit started coming back um, to his mom um, within uh, hours of his passing. And she uh, has channeled some of the information that he is giving her from the other side. And one of the things that's in her book um, about this subject is she found out that there is this thing called an oversoul. It is a, um, it's, it's, it's kind of like an umbrella in the sense that it, it's an overarching structure, spiritual structure that connects all of our lives together. In each life, there is this fragment or piece of the oversoul that incarnates with you. And then it all comes together into this big picture, thousands of lives, um, each with their own piece that contributes to the big picture. And the oversoul is the big picture. And then, Gary, I ran across some information that was from... Um, Bob Monroe, who wrote the book uh, Journeys Out of Body and Final Journey. He was very well known for his ability to have out-of-body experience to uh, what some people call um, astral travel or astral projection. And Bob um, was able to bring back a lot of information from his journeys out of body. And one of the things he said is basically the same thing that the author of uh, the book uh, the incredible true story of Anthony Joseph said is, is that we have these many lives that we live and they all come together in this big picture. And there's this overarching spiritual structure that connects them all together. And that structure is connected in with a one structure that's at the center of, of all creation. And that's what most people refer to as God. And so the, the oversoul is something that some people also call your spirit guide or even spirit guides. I now understand spirit guides as being incarnations of myself that are more spiritually advanced than I am in this incarnation. I am part of that, but I'm not consciously accessing the information and knowledge that I've gained in my past lives that have made those other incarnations more spiritually advanced. And when I talk to my spirit guides, I'm actually talking to aspects of myself that are from previous and future incarnations. When I say previous and future, the thing that we have to understand is is that we're living all of our lives at once. 
that there's in time, we consider time to be this linear thing. It's like the progression of the hands of a clock or, you know, the turning of the pages of a calendar. But time in its true sense is past, present, and future is all being experienced at once. And this also jives with our physics, our understanding of time as being intimately connected with space. All of space exists, but you can only see a part of it at a time. All of time exists, the same as all of space exists, but you can only see and experience a part of time that you are able to perceive in this moment. Right. So it's almost like time is just... Uh our limit of perception, really, because we're yes. really only able to perceive so much at one time. Yes. Um, Anita Morjani, who wrote the book, uh, she's, she's very famous. Uh, she wrote, a, uh, as an author, she wrote a book called Dying to Be Me. After she had um, an out-of-body experience, she died uh, of cancer. Uh, and uh, what she went and had this experience out-of-body, where she, you know, up, taken up into the light and meeting these eternal beings and gaining all of this knowledge and information. Um, and she said that she, from her under, from what she understood from that higher perspective, that out of body perspective, as she said, use this analogy, the you're in a massive warehouse and it's completely dark, but you have a flashlight in your hand and you can illuminate by where you point that flashlight. You can illuminate a very small segment of that massive warehouse she said that is our perception of time that you can only see a little bit of it at a time and it depends on where you are focusing your attention but all of the other parts of it still exist but they're still in the shadows you're not putting your attention on them so all of time exists at once from past from past to present to future it all exists but you can only perceive a little bit of it at once yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that blows like a lot of people's minds. You know, people it that don't, mind. you know, like, we're not really, you, we just don't automatically think that way. You know, we, we, we view things linear, you know, past, present, and future. And to, to think that it's all happening at once is almost overwhelming. Um, um, it is, and it's very hard. It's a very hard thing to grasp. If when from the first time that the idea came to me until I was able to really wrap my mind around it was at least a few years, um, and I, I I had to digest it in a way for me to become comfortable with it. Now I can understand it as a concept, and I've kind of hashed out the various ramifications of it. But I'm still, all of my perceptions as a human being have been trained into me based off of the experience of time as being linear, a progression from the time that I was born until now, and then I can project ahead into the future. But I, it's, I, it's something that I've been able to grow comfortable with. And I know that there will come a point when I will understand this in a more full sense when I'm able to leave my body and go on to my next experience of life in a different form. Yeah. Um, if everything is happening all at one time, that would also mean my past selves and future selves are all having the same experience right now as well. Yes. And they're, they're all, exchanging they're and they, they are exchanging information between each other. The 
there is a um, uh, there's sort of a cause and effect relationship, and we're bearing this out through the observation that there are uh, quantum particles that can go uh, forward and backward in time. This has been borne out by experimentation. There was just another paper that was published on this um, from uh, in, a, in a physics journal, and. What it's showing is is that these particles, at least, can travel backward and forward in time. Well, particles are little packets of information, and what can happen is is that the 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 past incarnations of you, and past only in the sense is that they are back in time, and future incarnations only in the sense that they are ahead in time, um, are all happening at once, and they're exchanging information, and their lives are actually being influenced all by each other. So I'm learning how to be able to send um, information from myself in the present time to myself backward in time and myself forward in time, the various incarnations of myself, which I'm really thinking of now as being all one being, even though they have separate bodies, separate lives, they're all one being, and I'm able to communicate with them. Now, it's not to say that we are getting on the telephone, you know, on a Zoom call or something, and we're all having a big chat session. Um, but um, I'll give you an example. Um, there's a Facebook group that I'm part of after I met um, the guy who uh, is the leader of the group, who um, I met him at Canyon Ranch. It's a spa and resort in Tucson, Arizona, where I was a speaker, and so was he. And one of the things that he was teaching people is, is that you can heal the past by sending your thoughts and feelings to yourself who's still caught up in these traumatic experiences in the past. And he said that he had this experience, he started experimenting with something where he would very strongly imagine himself 25 years in the future. This was, you know, he was, he was a young man at the time. And he was doing these meditations where he would send himself into the future to send himself messages and talk to himself and stuff like that. And he was just doing it as a mental exercise. It turns out that 25 years later, he started having this presence inside of his home that would come to him and he could hear a voice and he could sense a presence. It would, and he'd, he'd forgotten what he'd done 25 years before until it finally came to him. And he realized that he had actually projected himself into the future and that it had taken form in the moment that he was living 25 years later. So he was actually meeting himself from the past, the projection of himself from the past, he was meeting it in the present, which was actually the future in a sense. But, um, and so he was, he was actually able to take some essence or energy or imprint or impression of himself and project it into the future so that he could meet it. Then he's not the only one. There are other people who've said that they've been able to do the same thing. It just requires a tremendous amount of energy that you have to pour into this to make it happen for you. Um, Is that like a, a technique for astral protection or like an out-of-body experience where you can send yourself into the future to your future self? Um, except it's not even so much astral. It's just meditative. It's all wow. through the mind. You don't have to be out of body. In fact, it's very much an experience in body when you do it, that you project yourself into the future or the past 
and be able to deliver messages. You know, there's a there's a part of myself that has lived, you know, in the past, I've lived through some pretty uh, dramatic experiences in my life, some very deep traumas that could have destroyed me. And I somehow made it through those things. And I had a, a sense that there was something that was watching. I've had very strong experiences at times in my life that there was something that was looking out for me, um, a spiritual presence or an energetic presence that was there and looking out for me. And I have, I now am at least open to the possibility that when I think about myself in the past and those traumas, and I send the energy and I say, you can get through this, I'm in the future now, and you lived through this, it was okay, and you're, you're going to get through this, accept the love and the light that I'm sending to you, you know, know that you have the strength. When I tell myself in the past, in the present, but I, I project my mind into the past and help myself that way, I think that I'm actually sending something like a message from the present to the past, what we consider to be the past, because we think of things as being linear. But in a way, that part of me is all those parts of me that have had these past experiences are all still alive in the present, in the sense that time past, present, and future is all happening right now. There is only this moment right now. So I've had some experiences of sensing something that was with me, these times in the past when I was going through deep traumas. And I think that it was part of the reason why I sensed those things back then was because there was a future me that was sending those messages to myself. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, so like, I, like through meditation, like you know, you can meditate in a way where you're you're helping yourself out. Like, say, as a kid, you know, and you're having like a rough time growing up, you can do that to kind of help that child get through that situation now. Yeah, and anybody that wants to find out about this, I would suggest that you think of the darkest, most traumatizing, most painful moment of your life begin with just one. Most of us, when we're asked a question, what was the most traumatizing or painful thing you've ever experienced, can think of it right away. Um, and that you just think of, you put yourself in a really good space in the present. That's why it's good to meditate and be very calm ahead of time. And I should be clear to your listeners that when I did these things, I was doing it from a very centered, feeling strong space, very calm, clear-minded. I wasn't in any kind of turmoil at the time. You don't want to send that emotional stuff into the past. And, you know, so yeah. make, sure, make sure that you were in the right head and heart space to do it. But think of that time, that, think of, bring up those memories. Think of yourself. Put yourself into your shoes at the time. Put yourself behind your eyes. Of, of, of that moment in time when you're experiencing that pain and then send yourself that positive message. This is a technique that is used in therapeutic circles also. And it's, it's widely um, disseminated because it's known to be very helpful. And, you know, maybe in one sense, you're just working to release those traumas from your mind and your memory. But maybe in another sense, you're actually energetically sending something to yourself that's in what we know of as the past to bring that healing full circle. It's, it's very empowering. 
and anybody can do it. Just make sure you're in the right head and heart space when you try it. So it's not just psychology, it's almost literal. I think so. Even though I, there was a time in my life when I would have argued that it was just working with memory and that it's just psychology, it's just going down into subconscious parts of the mind and sending you know, energy, helping to repattern some of it, helping to change the neural pathways that, are, um, uh, that have been created around the pain and trauma. Um, you could say that it's a neurosis if it's bad enough in the sense of like a complex, which Carl Jung understood as being a collection of, of energy and memory and aspects of the personality that have all clustered around um, these shadowy things inside of ourselves. You could look at it that way through that lens. But I think that I would rather, I, I, for me, what's most empowering is to think that the energy that I send to myself, that's my, the parts of myself that are still in the past. Of course, there are many parts of myself in the past because it's all come to now, but those parts of myself are with me in the present. And when I connect with them in my mind and in my heart, that I can actually influence them. I can send them the strength that they need to get through the experiences that almost destroyed them. Hmm. Uh, I wonder what would happen if, all those um, future and past and present selves all could possibly merge into one. That's what Bob Monroe, I kind of got off track. Um, that's what Bob, when I was talking about Bob's understanding of this, he said that that's what happens um, eventually. He says that we will have these thousands of experiences of incarnating in various times and places as various people. And that some of these incarnations will be, you know, they could be short, brief, and tragic. Some of them, you will have great experiences. You'll have the whole spectrum of human experience. Um, some of it may be even considered what we would call bad experiences or dark or negative. Right. Um, but also others where he says that what happens is, is that you eventually have a, an incarnation where you're able to bring all of those lives together and unify them. And he says what happens then is, is that when you pass on from that life and your spirit leaves the mortal realm, that you pull all of those selves together. You take them out of the earthly plane and you move on to um, another galaxy. Or he actually, the way he, I heard him say it was you go on to another universe that you go on to have a completely different experience outside of the human experience, not just human body, but also human spirit. We, we, are, we have this, this variety of experiences that we're having in this form, but that there are countless other forms of experience. And once we have learned enough in this experience, this form of experience, we're able to go on to have another one of these endless varieties of experience that we can't even conceive of because we have no frame of reference for it. But he says that's what happens. And he says that it's like a shooting star. You pull all of that, all of those selves together as you're leaving the earthly plane. And there's this one version of you that has the energetic presence and power to pull it all together and to achieve escape velocity. And you're able to get out of the 
what the, it's called the samsara, the wheel of life. Right. And you're able, you're able to have the, the boost. It's like a rocket that has enough power in its engines to be able to leave this earthly plane. Of course, there are people who decide that they want to stay because they're attached to something. Maybe people who are still here and, and, and you know, having earthly experiences or something like that. Where And then when they reincarnate, they reincarnate as um, bodhisattvas. Yeah, it's like, like, you understand. like the Dalai Lama. He chooses, says he chooses to reincarnate yes. to, to help people, you know, not have to suffer. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they have a very advanced understanding of the reincarnation process, and they are able to actually influence the um, future incarnations of themselves, meaning that when, they, when the Dalai Lama dies, he has already worked through in his mind, through years of meditation, um, the circumstances and conditions of his next incarnation. And he's actually able to leave signs for his um, followers, for his other lamas, when they want to come and find him. Um, and they go through a process, you know, the, the lamas will go, they say that when the, yeah, they the put, put them through a test or they, they bring some objects that are his and some objects that are not his and have the child choose. Yeah. Um, over the, and they do this, like, you know, which pair of glasses was mm-hmm. yours from your past life or is yours, uh, which, you know, uh, cane or which i mean a piece of jewelry things like this and it's not just laying them out and having one piece of jewelry they'll have four or five pieces of jewelry and the child that they think is the dalai lama will pick it and it's not just the dalai lama by the way gary this is their other high lamas yeah they're in the tibetan system they're all going through this where they basically it's the direction that they're facing when they die I think they there's a movie called, I think it's called them. My Precious Teacher. Um, Haven't seen it. Seven Years in Tibet was one that I saw. Um, um, but the, 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 when the Lama dies, they die facing the direction where their future incarnation can be found. And their other mm-hmm. Lamas will go out and search for them. And they'll have this intuitive sense of where they are. Um, the, the Dalai Lama, the last one, died facing China. And um, his, when he was found, uh, I think he was about five years old, when he was found by the other lamas, he was found in a Tibetan town that was on the border of China or near the border. Um, and then they put him through all the tests. But one of the things I wanted to mention from that is, is that these lamas have developed the ability to highly influence their future incarnations. And there, is, there are ways that you can do this um, and the, as an individual now in the Western world or wherever you are as you're listening to this, whatever culture that you're from, is, and this was, the, this was what they've almost, this is what I've learned from them. What they say is learn how to meditate. When you learn how to meditate, you are able to uh, influence the conditions and circumstances of your future life or lives. Um, and this was something when I was talking about the ways that this has influenced me in my present life. My knowledge of reincarnation is influencing uh-huh. the way that I am now. Um, I sometimes, when I don't feel like meditating, there's a little voice that comes into my head and says, but wouldn't it be cool to advance far enough in this that you could influence your future lives like, and your past lives? That the more that you are able to focus and concentrate, the more, the, the better that you are able to meditate, 
the better that you are able to use like you to influence things in a good way for yourself. It's very empowering. So I can influence my future incarnations, but I can also influence my past ones, my past incarnations and myself in the past. You know, time is just a product of motion. Somewhere, the moment that I was born, the moment that you were born, the moment that each of your listeners were born, there is a point in space and time where that happened. And that point in space and time still exists. It's, it's only time is only the product of a three-dimensional object through space. Time is motion. So think of three dimensions as being a baseball. And then you throw that ball and the path that it takes is time. Mm-hmm. It's, and so that is what the earth is a big freaking baseball in that analogy. And it is hurtling through space. It is creating a path through space. And what that is, is time. So the space where the ball originated, and let's say that's your time of birth, that the moment that you were born, that's where the earth was in time when, or in space when you were born, right? And so that place still exists. You know, it, it, that place where the ball originated and it was thrown. Just because you were, on the, you were the person on the other end who caught the ball does not mean that when you catch the ball that the person who threw the ball to begin with stops existing. So that space where the, where the earth was and where it originated at that point in time, it all still exists. I heard this from a physicist. Um, his name is uh, uh, Fred Allen Wolf. He's written many, many books on this subject. And I saw him on a show called Thinking Aloud with Jeffrey Mishlove. And, and when I say aloud, A-L-L-O-W-E-D, I want to make sure I spell that so that if anybody's curious, they can look it up on YouTube. There are hundreds of videos that Jeffrey has done with these, the host, Jeff Mishlove, has done with these very advanced thinkers. A lot of them are people who are, you know, they, they've got PhDs, they've written multiple books. Um, and the things that they know and that they have discovered is for some reason, it doesn't penetrate very far into our culture. But if you listen to Fred Allen Wolf and his lectures on how, on what time really is, you go, well, wow, you know, why wasn't I ever taught that in my physics classes or my science classes, (laughs) you know? Well, maybe that goes back to our original question of why reincarnation is not better known. Why isn't, isn't it taught? Even though there are academics such as Ian Stevenson and uh, Dr. Jim Tucker at the University of Virginia who have more than 2,000 case studies of reincarnation where children have reported past life memories and have um, things such as marks on their body, they're able to identify like they can, these children who are able to go to where they lived previously without having any previous exposure to it, find their families, find their homes, know the names of their family members without ever having met these people. This is the kind of evidence that has been collected by Ian Stevenson and then his protege, Jim Tucker. Um, Both of them, Jim Tucker is a doctor of psychiatry. He's an MD. Um, and Ian Stevenson, I forget if he was an MD, but I think he would, I know that he had a background, a very deep background in academics. They were the head, they were the department heads 
the department chairs of the Department of um, Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia. So a major university, two very well-respected academics who have adhered rigorously to the scientific method, who have had to be even more rigorous than many of their peers because of the subject that they study, reincarnation, and have passed the tests that have been given to them by their peers through peer review. And um, their body of evidence is, I've, I've, is, is so extensive um, that when you do odds against chance, a statistical method for saying, well, what's the chance that all of this is just a remarkable coincidence? are trillions to one. In other words, the, the odds of chance, they're never non-existent because there's always the chance that something is, you know, that there was an error in methodology, that the conclusions from the science and the research and stuff is not, the conclusions are faulty. There's always a chance of that. Um, but basically, it's been accepted. It's been peer-reviewed and accepted. And they've proven academically and scientifically that reincarnation is real. They've proven it. And, but most people don't even know that the, these men and their, their research exists. And they're not the only ones. They're just the two best known because they are department chairs at a major university. Um, so reincarnation has been proven. It's incredible. a fact. That's incredible. It's a, sci it's a scientific fact in the sense that it's been proven through scientific methods. Um, and, but, and yet, for some reason, this information isn't out there. And you go, well, why? And it does go back to how we opened this conversation, is, is that it's a threat to certain power structures. Um, and until it's no longer a threat, or those power structures don't exist anymore, those authority structures, then it's unlikely that more people are going to get this information. But it's out there. In fact, um, I mentioned the show Thinking Aloud. Um, if you use the search box to type in reincarnation, uh, you will find several episodes where Jeffrey has interviewed some of these um, uh, academics who have studied this uh, uh, work extensively. Um, and, um, you know, we're not just talking about some, you know, hypnotherapist who claims that their patients have given them, or clients have tell them, told them past life stories. We're not just talking about, uh, you know, uh, a lore or legend. We're not talking about belief systems. We're talking about academics and scientists who've studied right. this subject very in depth and what their results from their research have proven to them. They didn't go into it thinking that it was already real and that they would uh, find out, you know, that they wanted to prove something that they already knew was real. What they wanted to do was go in and um, learn for themselves. And when they did that, um, they have come out of it saying, yes, I'm convinced. Um, so I just put in reincarnation into the search box at New Thinking Aloud with Jeffrey Mishlove. And I see the process of reincarnation Birthmarks and Physical Signs of Reincarnation, uh, The Research of Ian Stevenson, Part 1, uh, Behavioral Signs of Reincarnation, Reincarnation, Part 2, uh, and it goes on and on. So these are interviews, all of them about a half an hour, that Jeffrey has done with these academics and scientists who've studied this subject. And um, I've watched a lot of these interviews. I tell you, Gary, it's fascinating. It's eye-opening. I'm definitely going to watch these. It's liberating, bro. 
when you find out that the dogma, dogmatic beliefs that you grew up under are not true, and that the the life and the universe and spirit is is very different from the way that it's been taught to you, especially if you've grown up under these, you know, hellfire and brimstone sorts of beliefs. Boy, is that liberating! Wow. So I want to ask you like on a personal note, um, how did you discover your past lives? Hmm. It began with a dream. Um, actually, it began with Brian's book, um, Only Love is Real. I encountered it somewhere, somehow. Uh, I, just, I, just, I just purchased it actually while we were talking. While we were talking. Well, you're going to love, I think you're going to love this book. Um, uh, it, it's a powerful account that comes from a psychiatrist who was skeptical of this. And through his own exploration, he, you know, um, he came to the conclusion that what his patients were telling him was real. Um, and so I became curious about it. I read the book and I went, I wonder if this stuff is real. And so I kind of opened up to the idea. And in a way you could say that I sent out a wish. I said, you know, if this is real, I need to know the truth. So please give me this experience. Let me know somehow. You know, I was very, I was very uh, leery of being deceived by it. I, even after reading the book, I was still, all it did was crack open the door. So in a short time, uh, amount of time, uh, after finishing the book and sending out this wish, I had this dream that I was sitting at a table, a restaurant table, um, next to this man who was morbidly obese, 500 pounds or more. Um, he had a huge plate of spaghetti and he was sucking it down like a vacuum, one strand at a time. And I kind of look at the guy and I'm kind of repulsed by his eating habits and uh -huh. just the whole, the whole image of him. And a woman who's a waitress comes up to the table and she starts speaking very slowly. And I'm really impatient with her. And I'm like, come on, lady, just get to the point. And she says, this is the way that you've reacted in the past when I've tried to tell you about your past lives. She's like, you get angry and frustrated. And I went, boom, in the dream, I remembered these previous dreams, unremembered to that point, even though I tracked my dreams very closely, unremembered to that point, was all these dreams that I had featuring this woman and her trying to tell me about my past lives. And I went, oh yeah, you're right. And then she told me a name from a past life and I woke up like the dream became unstable and I woke up out of it. And I said, damn, I need to remember that name. And it immediately slipped out of my memory. It was like a greased pig, Gary, trying to screw the heart. The harder I squeezed, the more it squirmed, and it got out of my grasp. So it did make it to the dream journal. It, it did not make it into my dream journal. That's right. So I'm like, I have just been given information that's very important. I need to retrieve this. I know it's in my mind somewhere. I need to retrieve it. So the next time it came to my mind, I was in the shower. And I'm like, okay, I'll write it down when I get out of the shower. Well, by the time I get to my pen and paper, after I've toweled off, I forgot the name. And I'm like, darn it. So like a week later, it comes to me again. I'm in the shower. This time, I don't even turn off the water. I go running out of the shower, dripping wet, no towel on me, running out into my apartment. And I was able to remember the name. 
and, and write it down. And the reason why I was having difficulty with it is because it's not a name that I'm familiar with from my Western upbringing, even though it is a name that we still use today, but it was pronounced in the way that it was thousands of years ago. And I went, oh, well, this is interesting. Let me look up this name and find out historically what I can find out. Now, this is the mid-1990s. The internet was just, you know, something that a very few people had access to, and it didn't have all the information like it does today. Right. So <laughs> I have to go to the library and start researching. But I was a college student at the time, so I had access to my university library. And, you know, I start finding out all these really interesting things based off of that name. And so I don't know if I was that person who was that historical character. I wasn't told that by the lady in the dream. The lady in the dream just gave me the name and I followed my intuition. And it led me to a historical character. Um, and that led me to another historical character who was that person's relative. And when I, find out, when I found out about him, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was a Seleucid Greek ruler. And when I found out about him, I ended up writing a book, a novel, because the idea, what I got, when I pulled this information together in my head, I was thunderstruck. I mean, like almost, I would almost say literally, it, it hit my mind like lightning, this idea for a plot. And it ended up changing my life because I wrote that book. And writing that book taught me how to write. I was a writer at the time, but I didn't know how to do book-length projects. And I, would, I don't think I would have ever learned how to do it because the skill set for doing it is developed by the practice of actually doing it. Yeah. And most, most writers will not take 10 years to pump out 250,000 words you know, of, of novel and learn this process of, it's not just a writing process, but a creative process. So that's what it all started with for me, Gary. It started with that dream and it actually started with Brian Weiss's book. And then that put the desire in me. It led to me having the dream. I had to pursue the dream very hard. It made me focus and concentrate in ways that I was not accustomed to. Um, and then that led to me doing the research that led to me coming up with the idea for the book, which led to um, me being able to go on and become an author of nonfiction. Even though I loved writing novels and stories, I ended up making a name for myself as a writer of nonfiction books about what? About dreams. <laughs> go figure, right? So it all comes full circle. And here I am 50 years old and I've got my four books out there. And I'm the moderator at Reddit of a Dreams Forum, which is at reddit.com or dreams.reddit.com. And I'm a moderator of the Past Lives Forum, pastlives.reddit.com, and of the Reincarnation Forum, reincarnation.reddit.com. <laughs> these, these subjects have come full circle for me, and I've taken a very deep interest in it. In fact, I recommend if there's anyone out there who would like to start exploring this for themselves, that there is a playlist pinned to the top of the forum at pastlives.reddit.com. And Reddit, as if anybody doesn't know, is R-E-D-D-I-T. Um, there's a YouTube playlist at the top. 
And um, you can also find it by looking up Radow, R-A-D-O-W-L on YouTube. That's my channel, my name. And um, the, um, I have, you can find the playlist that way. And the first uh, initial videos are past life regressions. And then they go into some of the science and research uh, uh, behind reincarnation and past lives. And in a few hours time, you can find out the history of the subject, the science behind it, and begin having your own personal experiences of it, which I would recommend to anyone because, or everyone, because it's by personally knowing these things, the same way that I did beginning with my dream experience, um, through the personal knowledge of this, you no longer have to say that you believe in reincarnation. It's something that you know. And when you know it, you don't have to believe anymore. You know it through personal experience. You know, I have a, um, a guy who's like a past life hypnotist regression person. And I mean, honestly, he didn't impress me at all. I thought he was kind of a beat guest, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was like all shtick. <laughs> you know, the guy, the guy even admitted like he's never even read a book. <laughs> so, um, but uh, do you think like um, hypnosis is useful in retrieving past life information? Yeah, you just have to be really careful. Um, there are people who claim to be past life uh, hypnotherapists or regression therapists who really don't know what they're doing beyond, you know, they don't know any more than anybody else running around. They just know some basic techniques for hypnotherapy and they can start charging 300 bucks a pop, you know, for a couple hours with you to guide you through something that you can basically do for yourself. Now, a skilled somebody who's very skilled at this. Um, and if, they, if you want to know how to find them, look up quantum um, healing hypnosis technique, QHHT. Um, the people who are certified as QHHT um, therapists have been through Dolores Cannon's system. And they have a, you can guarantee that they at least have um, the advanced training. It doesn't vouch necessarily for their skills, but you know at least they've had the training. Um, and also Charles Tremont, T-R-A-M-O-N-T. Uh, Charles uh, works out of um, Las Vegas. Um, the, the, what they're doing basically is they're getting you very relaxed. And then they are creating a safe space between you and the therapist, whether you're in the same room or you're doing it via Zoom. I've done a past life session via um, Zoom you know, or video conferencing. And it was, you know, basically the same as being right there with her. I put my computer on my bed. I had her on the video screen where she could hear me and she walked me through the process. But I also had done a lot of online video session, past life regression sessions. I had done them many times myself. And I never really had a distinct experience of recalling past life memories you know, I would do the, they have you walk down these steps and you see yourself in a beautiful garden. Then you go find a place yeah. where you can lie down and you can relax and all that. And I'm like, okay, it was good just as a good meditation. But when they were like, now look down at your feet and what kind of shoes are you wearing? And I'd be like, meh, you know, or look at your hands and notice the color of your skin and what your hands look like. 
see if you can find your reflection in a pool of water. Do you look any different? Nah, you know. And then one night, um, after teaching, I used to teach yoga, and um, I yoga part of yoga is meditation. And I had done a meditation even before doing yoga that was a past life regression. So all told, I had taught like three yoga classes that day because this is what I did for a living. And so I taught a lot of yoga classes and I taught meditation. So man, I came home, I was in the zone. My body was very loose, warm. Um, I was very calm and centered. I sat down on my couch and I'm starting to think about what I'm going to do with the rest of my evening after work. And this little voice comes into my head and it says, go meditate. And I'm like, what? Like, haven't I done enough of this already today? And the little voice says, come on, go meditate. And I'm like, all right. Because I know when that little voice speaks to you, it's very distinct. Um, and it's, I know to listen to it. It's easy to drown it out if you want to, but I have enough experience with it. So I was like, all right. So I go and I, it told me also to go to a place where I'd be undisturbed. So I go to a bedroom, I close the door, I sit down on the bed, I get into meditation position, I start doing the breathing, slowing myself down. Within about 90 seconds, maybe less, I feel my mind's eye pulled out of my head. Gary, it's like a camera flying through the air, my mind's eye, it was a very distinct experience. And I'm flying over a landscape and I can see the fields. I can see like a pasture. I can see where these horses are. And I come up on this house and I can tell that this house is not in the present time. This house is from centuries ago. And I go inside the house and like, and I go into like an entryway area and I see these steps leading up like a, almost like a sort of half spiral shape arching shape mm -hmm. and I see this little girl and she's playing kind of peekaboo with me and I'm looking at her and I'm, I feel immediately I feel this very strong connection with this little girl and I look closely at her and I recognize her eyes and her eyes are the same eyes of someone that I had started seeing someone I had just met recent before uh, around that time of my life We'd only known each other for a couple of months. And I went, wow, same eyes, different appearance, you know, hair, completely different, skin tone, very different. Um, but the eyes were the same. And I, you know, it, that really blew my mind. And I went, yeah, I remembered at that moment something I'd read from Brian Weiss that said, you will know people from your past lives your soulmates in this life because past lives and present lives connect through soul relationships. He said, you'll know them by their eyes. You'll recognize them. You'll feel drawn to them through their eyes. And I went, yeah, now I get it. And it's now 11 years later and that person is my wife and she's in the other room um, working. Um, but, um, you know, um, that tells you something there. But I needed to know the information. The reason why I'm telling this, relating this story um, to your listeners is because I had done those past life regressions at least 50 times and had never had a distinct experience until that experience, which was very distinct. Um, and it gave me information that I needed to have at that time 
so that I would chat relationship with more reverence because I wasn't, I was playing games and I was in the wrong mindset and it changed the way I approached that relationship because I could have very easily lost the most important person in my life because I was being a jerk. And so this is to tell you and your listeners that when you need this information, it can come to you. It's not to say that it won't work by doing guided past life regression meditations. It won't say, it's not to say that it won't work by going to a hypnotherapist or a, 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 someone like a QHHT specialist. But for me, it was because I needed the information. And that's the way that it has worked for me since then, too. I've had some other experiences of recovering past life information. It was, it was when I needed it. And it has helped me to understand relationships that I have with people now, uh, people such as my father. I, I was able to recall um, the life that we lived together that explained a lot about the relationship that we have now. It deepened things for us. It opened my heart in a way that it wasn't open before. And so the information that you get through doing these techniques, these hypnosis techniques, these regression and meditation techniques, it can be very valuable. But just doing the exercises is also very valuable because they are giving you the practice that you need so that when you really do have a powerful, distinct experience of recalling past life memories, you're ready for it. So would you say like some of it is just being aware enough to recognize when you have those experiences? Yeah. Or yeah, being aware enough, um, having the practice of using your mind's eye. This is a muscle that you work by doing the exercises. You know, for me, that muscle needed a lot of working. For other people who have, you know, um, more ability, natural ability to focus or concentrate or more trained ability to focus and concentrate in a meditative sort of way, um, they, for some of them, the very first time that they do a, a guided past life regression meditation, you know, like one of these YouTube videos, which Brian Weiss, by the way, has videos on the internet that teaches people how to do this stuff and walks them through it. First time they do it, bam, they have very distinct experiences. Wow. You're going to have to send then, me some, some links to those videos so I can post them in the notes. Pastlives.reddit.com. It's at the top. <laughs> I've, I've okay. left it there for quite a while now. Um, let me make sure. I'll do a quick, uh, 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 yeah, there we go. And it's still there. I pinned it to the top a month ago, um, mm -hmm. and I've left it up there because it's uh, a lot of people come along who um, are new to, the, to that subreddit. And this is the first thing I want them to see is, is that by using this video playlist, you have access to some of the leading people who teach these subjects um, and some of the leading people who research it. And it's all right there on YouTube. You can find out for yourself by playing that playlist. And by the time you're done, you'll have all the information and knowledge that you need. Awesome. Let's see. I was looking here now to see if I can find it on Reddit. Yeah, so past lives, B-A-S-T-L-I-V-E-S dot Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T dot com. 
and uh, it's just it's right there at the top. And I, that's my baby. I suggest if anybody else is interested um, in this subject, use what's on the sidebar. There's a reading list about past lives that includes books that have been recommended by the community. And there's also a reincarnation, I call it a reincarnation handbook by Michael Talbot. Um, Michael wrote a book called Your Past Lives. And I have it here in print, even though it's out of print, I was able to find a used copy. And he lays it out, how to do it through meditations, how to do it through self-hypnosis, how to do it through dreams, how to do it through journaling. Um, and Michael was talking about this stuff back in the 1980s, long, long before the modern time when the internet has made people who are, you know, has made available this information for people who are curious and it's very easy to find. When Michael wrote the book, for people in the Western world, it was very hard to find misinformation and knowledge. But he lays it all out right there. It's a it's a link to a PDF, the download that I found of it. I hope that the person who curates that website is still allowing it out there. And then underneath that, you can find the um, sessions that we've done with experts, such as Dr. Jim Tucker, um, the scientific study of reincarnation. He came mm -hmm. in for a question and answer session with our community and answered questions. And then there's a three-part AMA, that, that's a question and answer session with Madeline Claire Wilmoth. And she goes through all of these subjects uh, related to um, past lives. Uh, she was asked all kinds of questions from the community. Uh, one of the first questions is, how do you differentiate what is your imagination with what's real past life memories? And one of the things that Madeline says is, is that it's all, your, your imagination is your eye that looks inward. And when you look inward, you're going to have a variety of things that you see, but it's all like you could have, you could have past life memories that come to you in metaphorical form, symbolic form, very similar to the way that dreams work. Um, you could have past life information that comes to you intuitively. You don't actually see a memory. It's just something that you know, you know it intuitively. Yeah. So there's a lot there's a lot of advice that she gives that will help to clear it up. And uh, Madeline is a, um, a is a natural at this subject, and she's done a lot of past life regression counseling. Plus, there's links to her website, which is called Starkept K E P T Starkept um, dot com, and um, she does not charge the same rates that I've seen from other past life regression counselors, um, but she can give you the same results. I've seen some sessions that cost $500 or more. Um, now those regression counselors will often spend hours with you. They'll do a lot of preparation. They'll give you a lot of information, stuff like that. Um, but Madeline is doing the same kind of work, um, but she's doing it from a different place. You know, she doesn't have the overhead of an office space. She's, you know, she's, she doesn't have the same bills to pay, I would guess. And from conversations with her, I've, asked her and she considers it considers it to be her mission in life and she wants to make these services available for people who are at a more moderate price point so i, I recommend her and i have worked with her so um, and we've done three q a sessions with her where she has answered every question under the sun and you can find out for yourself by looking up the amas on the sidebar awesome it's so cool yeah. that, that that my my listener is going to have all those resources available to them. I mean, so, so 
it just brings something, you know. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to listen to a podcast, you know, for entertainment. It actually gets some useful tools that they can use to explore these topics on their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, you know, I've been doing it for 25 years. And I, you know, from my first experience of this, you know, first getting Brian's book and having my dream um, to the present day where I'm leading, you know, some of the largest communities on the internet that's devoted to this subject. And having the ability to put these resources that I've encountered over the years and share them with people on, on a public forum like Reddit. You know, um, so I'm very happy to do it. There's also resources uh, from the Omega Institute, which is Brian Weiss's training institute. Um, There are discussion boards, uh, the Newton Institute, uh, places for reincarnation research. And what I consider to be the source that got me over the hump with this um, around the time, uh, over the hump in the sense that it got me over my skepticism and doubt, which was based off of my Christian background, and it came from Edgar Casey, who talks a lot about past lives. And um, in his readings, he, Edgar, Edgar, Edgar Casey was a clairvoyant. Um, he was a psychic who was able to answer questions while in a hypnotic state, a trance-like state. And the, he did it. There's 15,000 of these readings on record. And... Um, many of them about the health of the people who were asking questions. Uh, And he was able to offer all kinds of advice. He was able to talk about things long before they were known in the mainstream or even known to anyone, such as the Dead Sea Scrolls, Mm -hmm. uh, that Jesus wasn't a scene, which we found out through the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh The scenes as a Jewish sect, um, we knew about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but what we didn't know was about the third sect, Jewish sect of the time, which was the Essenes, and that Jesus and his mother Mary and his father Joseph were members of the Essenes, which was a Messianic group. I would say cult, but it's the wrong word. It was a Messianic uh, uh, group that were, they, what they were do, they considered it to be their mission to bring the Messiah into the world. And... Um, So anyway, I'm bringing up a lot of stuff here that might, for a lot of Christians out there, will blow their minds, maybe even make them recoil, because it goes very against what they've been taught. What I suggest is just look up Edgar Cayce and his information about past lives and reincarnation, and do it through edgarcasey.org, which is run by the Edgar Cayce Foundation, which is called the Association for Research and Enlightenment. Edgar Cayce was, he grew up in... Hopkinsville, Kentucky, which is the heart of the Bible Belt. He grew up um, before the turn of the 20th century. So his upbringing was in a very deeply, deeply religious, fundamentalist Christian time. Um, And the information that he got through his readings, these uh, hypno-trance sessions, went against what he understood as a Christian, um, Edgar Casey read the Bible front to back, I think they said about 60 times total in his life. Um, he knew the Bible, the, I mean, you know, he could recite it, the, he could recite passages from the Bible wholly from memory, long passages, because he memorized the Bible. And I trust him because he was a Christian who struggled with the information that he was given and then he came to know the truth of it. And 
I suggest that anyone out there who is a Christian who struggles with the idea of reincarnation to look up Edgar Cayce, to look up his life story, to get a sense of the man and how earnest and honest that he was. Now, there is some bad information about Edgar Cayce that's out there because he's very famous. He's probably the most famous psychic in American history. So you really have to be careful. But if you go to edgarcasey.org, the information you get there is accurate and truthful. And it's done in a spirit of um, desiring for people to have spiritual growth through the things that they learn. So look it up, man. That great information that's out there, and I'm happy to share it. And you also have a, a Reddit page on Edgar Casey too, don't you? Um, yes, I run the Edgar Casey uh, forum subreddits at Reddit. Um, that's my most recent baby. Um, <laughs> I tend to, I find these other people who have created these places, and then they abandon them, and then I'll find them, and... Um, uh, and I'll adopt them as my own since I've been on Reddit for so long um, and I'm a moderator. So I adopted the Edgar Casey subreddit. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's one of my babies. Uh, so, um, but I, I did it because I have respect for the man and the people who've come after him. There is so much uh, goodness. He is a tree that has borne just great fruit um, I'm a member of the Edgar Casey, the ARE found, uh, organization. And, um, I, they send me these daily quotes from Edgar Casey that are like little prayers for me to start my day. It's one of the things I look forward to in the morning. I open my email from them. I get one every day and they use a quote from Edgar Casey and I use it as sort of like my, my little, my daily bread. It's my little spiritual teaching that I try to keep in mind as I go throughout the day and apply the things that I've learned from him. So I've seen nothing but good fruit from that tree. And even though there are some fundamentalist Christians that disparage Casey, that claim that he was a liar or whatever, when you uh -huh. look into Casey's work and his body of work, you see a man who, who was uh, very earnest and truthful and who was put through the ringer. He was tested by a lot of different people. Um, and he came out, except for a few prophetic things that he said, out of the 15,000 readings that he gave, they've all been proven to be true and accurate. Didn't he also say some stuff about lattice? Explain lattice. Atlantis. Oh, Atlantis, yeah. Um, he said uh, that he, Casey, now remember, he's in a hypnostot, he's in a, a deep trance, so he doesn't remember any of this stuff when he wakes up. But it's being written down. He had a personal secretary. First it was his wife, and then he had a personal secretary um, who transcribed everything that he said. And he would be asked questions, sometimes, most of the time, by people who were present, and other times by people who sent him letters. Um, and so he was asked these questions. And um, he was asked about Atlantis. In fact, the first times that Atlantis came up in his readings, it was because he read, he was doing a reading for someone and he, a psychic reading, and he saw that things that were going on in their life presently was related to past lives and the, the past lives that they'd lived in Atlantis. So Atlantis was a real place. Um, it was for, 
It was before the apocalypse that happened on Earth around 12,000 years ago, which there's, by the way, there's a lot of scientific evidence for this now. Edgar Cayce was one of the first people to talk about this before this evidence was uncovered, that there was a comet that flew into the Earth's atmosphere, fragmented, and hit the polar ice caps, the North, uh, the North Pole uh, ice cap. And um, the, it was like a thousand thermonuclear bombs going off. It melted the polar ice caps and caused the biblical great flood. Um, and that's what led to the destruction of Atlantis. Now, Casey said that there were people who had a sense that this was going to happen um, and that they had relocated. Uh, some of them, they'd sent out expeditions. He said that Atlantis had a central location um, off of the uh, seaboard around um, North Carolina, that you would go out into the Atlantic and um, that that's where the heart of that empire was. But he said that Atlantis was a global civilization. There were other humans that were around at the time, but they were not under that global civilization. That other humans of the time would be like us going down to the rainforest, us meaning mm -hmm. Westerners, advanced Western people going down to the rainforest and finding tribal cultures that the Atlanteans of the time were like the advanced Westerners, but they were even more advanced than we are now. Um, and that they, um, they, they knew that this cataclysm was coming and that they had taken their knowledge and, and, and went out to places like uh, the Yucatan Peninsula and to Egypt and to um, Asia and they created little colonies where they could share their advanced information and knowledge with the humans of the area. So, yeah, um, Casey talked about um, Atlantis. Um, and he said that in 1950, he predicted before he died, uh, that in 19, I think it was 58, that the first evidence of Atlantis would be uncovered. And that's when the Bimini Road was discovered down in the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. um, and he also said that there is a hall of records which was created by the Atlanteans um, and that there are three of them spread around the world and that one of them is underneath the left paw of the Sphinx in the Giza Plateau in, in Egypt. And it turns out through decades of research, they have now found by using ground penetrating radar that there is this huge chamber down there. They don't know what's in it because they haven't opened it yet, but right underneath the left pole of the Sphinx is this massive chamber, and it's waiting to be opened. And Casey said that it would be opened when humans were ready to receive the knowledge that it contains, which is that the way that we understand our history is very wrong. That whole out-of-Africa theory, the whole idea of humans starting off as these you know, ape creatures that evolved up to human, you know, humankind, um, that the time frame for this was very wrong. And he says that it all began as spiritual beings that existed in another plane that came down into the material plane and discovered the earth, uh, in a sense, discovered it because creation is endless and that we... Um, we, we kind of found this beautiful place called Earth where we could inhabit the bodies spiritually of the beings that were there. And that over millennia of evolution, um, hundreds of millennia, thousands of millennia of this evolution of ourselves as spiritual beings 
that came to influence the evolution of humans as material bodily beings. And it's really fascinating when you dig into this stuff. And what Casey said about Atlantis, he didn't just talk about Atlantis, which the Atlantean history of Mm -hmm. human history goes back about 100,000 years. He also talks about the Lemurians and others. Yes. um, These different civilizations that existed for hundreds of thousands of years and then disappeared. And there would be a sort of dark ages where there wasn't a whole lot going on. And then we would figure out what the next incarnation of ourselves were going to be as a massive civilization. It's so interesting. I interviewed a guy not too long ago um, who said that in the past life he, he lived in Atlantis. And I also have a, another um, friend of mine that I interviewed recently. And um, you know, his belief, or well, not belief, actually, I mean, humans definitely go back way further than you know, what science says right now. Um, but uh, I don't know, I lost my train of thought. Well, brother, anyway, um, anyway yeah, man. You know, um, it, you know, there's just humans. <clears throat> Oh, never mind. I completely lost. <laughs> oh, that's that's all right. I've got a. I'm being beckoned here to go on to my next thing. Um, but I wanted to tell your listeners, uh, your audience, that they can have these experiences. They can have this information for themselves. Be skeptical if you want to be. I wouldn't believe anything too readily either, especially when um, it's easy to make claims about something that can't be verified. But if you want to look at this from a scientific viewpoint, there are, there's information that we've covered. Um, Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker are two of the best, which, by the way, they don't recommend past life progression. Um, they say just look at the science. Uh, that's a proof enough for yourself. Um, past life progression is too easily manipulated to, um, for other agendas. But I think it's best to find out this information for yourself Um, by uncovering your own past lives. But remember what I said about this is is that usually there needs to be an overarching reason for doing it. Just being curious is okay. But what you're trying to do is find out this information so that you can deepen your um, relationships that you have with people in your life now. And I suggest that... Um, people um, who want to know this um, find out for themselves and that they do it for the right reasons to deepen their relationships with the people, their loved ones and with themselves. Ultimately Um, this information can be very empowering, Uh, but it's not a Buddhist thing. It's not a Hindu thing. It's, it's a person thing. It's a human thing. It's a fact of our existence and you can find it out for yourself If you want to know more about, uh, I suggest that you use dreams as a vehicle for this. My dream life is what helped me to um, first get on the path. And you need to have a basic background in dream interpretation. Because my dream with that woman, that waitress who came to me to tell me the name from a past life that kicked all this off, um, that dream was distinct. And I knew it was distinct because I'd been keeping a dream journal and practicing dream interpretation. So it stood out from other dreams. 
I also knew that it came in response to that little wish that I made where I wanted to know more about this subject. And then boom, I have a dream that set me off on that path. So check out dreamschool.net. Um, it's where I give basic training on, on dream interpretation and advanced training. You also and, have, a, have a course now, right, on uh, Udemy? Um, yeah, um, it, they're all at, at Dream School. Um, I have six courses now uh, about dream symbols, dream characters, advanced dream interpretation. Um, there's, there's six courses now, and then there's, some of them are bundles, and I have more coming here real soon. I've started That's working so awesome. on some new ones. And I have books out there, the Dream Interpretation Dictionary, um, and I recommend for anyone um, who wants a quick introduction to dream interpretation, look up Radow's uh, Crash Course in Dream Interpretation, R-A-D-O-W-L apostrophe S, Radow's Crash Course in Dream Interpretation. Um, and it's, it gives you, and it takes about three hours to read the book. It's only 100 pages. And it gives you all of the basic information and then demonstrates it, how to use it. I use dreams that I've helped to interpret um, and verified their accuracy with the people who had the dreams and I interpreted them with them. And, and then I use those as examples and demonstrations to show you that dream interpretation is really not, it, it's, it's simpler. It, it doesn't have to be real complex. You don't have to sit on Dr. Freud's couch. You don't have to be psychoanalyzed. You can analyze your own dreams, and that will lead you, give you the information you need so that when you have one of these extraordinary dreams, you'll know because of your base of reference, your base of knowledge that you have, um, that it stands out from the other dreams that you've had and that there are some tools that you can use to pursue what you are taught through those dreams. So... Yeah, man. Gary, thanks for having me on again. Uh, give me a chance to share what I know. Definitely. Definitely love to have you back again. You have so much going on. There's always so much to talk about. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm happy to do it. So I, I mean, we could, do, we could do an Edgar Casey episode. You got so much stuff happening here. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I think we'll do this again sometime, huh? Definitely. You'll definitely mm -hmm. be hearing from me again. <laughs> okay. Sounds good, bro. All right. All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Have a great day. You too, Gary. Take Thanks. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle. Which I would be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com. And Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. And oh yes, you can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.